Do you like this backpack? This is a sharp-looking backpack, isn't it? This is my son Levi's backpack. Miles has one just like it. Tomorrow afternoon, my eight- and five-year-olds will board as unaccompanied minors American Airlines Flight 2553 from Minneapolis, St. Paul to Charlotte, North Carolina. We bought a one-way trip. <laughs> Truthfully. In fact, we don't know when we're going to see them again. No. Uh, allegedly, my mom and dad in seven to ten days are, are going to, over the course of that time, take them to a theme park and buy them all types of candy that they've never tried before and let them sleep until 9 a.m. where they'll have biscuits and gravy and uh, give them a tour of the life-size replica of Noah's Ark in Kentucky on their way back to Wisconsin and all a few days prior to Levi leaving for kids' camp with the milch. Isn't it tough being a kid? I mean, it's just hard. It's tough sledding, isn't it? I mean, so... Before you question the parental wisdom of sending two children unaccompanied across half the country by themselves, uh, let me assure you that we bought them new underwear. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that we were insured by American Airlines that they would watch them like hawks from only gate to gate. So we get a security pass. We go through all the way to the gate. The only place they are uh, by themselves is on the airplane, and, the, and they watch them very closely, and my parents will get a security pass on the other end and take them from the gate. So <laughs> hoping this <laughs> goes well. They'll be taking these backpacks. Great-looking backpack, I think. I want to use it as an illustration for your life. Did you know this backpack will only hold so much? It's limited in capacity. With enough in it, the seams will begin to rip. With enough weight in it, it will not be able to sustain the load. This is your life this morning. Your life has capacity issues. Are you aware of that? There's only so much you can do. There's only so much time you have. There's only so much energy that you can exert. There's only so much weight that you can carry. Life has limitations. The Bible calls them burdens. Whatever you put in the backpack of, of life to take on the journey of life, that is your burden to carry. That is your load to bear. That's the life that you have chosen for yourself uh, and in some cases, the life that you have not chosen for yourself. There are beautiful, amazing toys in the backpack. 
of life. They include graduations and births, not in that order, but you get the idea. And weddings and promotions. There are bad toys in the backpack, like sickness and miscarriage and lost jobs and broken relationships. And sometimes, let's just face it, the weight starts to get to us. Sometimes all of a sudden, the backpack gets a lot heavier with no announcement ahead of time, a responsibility at work, a pregnancy, a a cancerous spot, a bankruptcy, invariably, each of us will go through times where our individual burdens lead to discouragement, distress, despair, and we wonder, can I continue? Can I bear it? Can I carry on? Can I live like this? Counselors will tell you that one of three things happen. Flight, fight, or fright. Start with those of us who are naturally fighters. We're like, load me up! Pour it on. Keep piling it. I'm tough. I'm just going to grind this out. Sounds so virtuous, doesn't it? But in the end, at the extreme, it can lead to sickness. It can lead to being unhealthy. It can even be deadly. How many of you by nature respond by fighting? Okay. Sandy Dinfeld, I didn't know that about you. You can be a fighter, huh? I'm glad I've never tussled with you. How many of you respond with fright? There's usually a little more, a little more incentive for the fighters to raise their hands but you get paralyzed with anxiety with worry you predict the worst possible version of your future most of which never even happens or c- comes to pass you you panic you don't you don't know how to fit everything into the backpack. You're not even sure what stuff needs to be taken out of it. You're not sure if you should keep walking on the journey or take a few steps back or turn around all together. You may have a hard time getting out of bed. You may feel bewildered or disoriented. You don't know what to do. You just get overwhelmed mentally, emotionally. How many of you say that's me? Wow, you're better than the first service. Own it. That's right. We're, I'm, I'm a fright person too. I get overwhelmed. I just get all mental. If I get a 
an out my first at bat in softball in a tournament. I won't get a hit most of the rest of the tournament. It's all up here. If I hit it up the middle right past a pitcher, I'll be 11 for 12. And this flight, that is to say I'm done. I quit. And I throw my phone in the lake. If you don't like it, I'm going to throw your phone in the lake. I'm out. Commitment is no longer a value anymore. These are those that quit jobs, that quit churches, that quit families, that quit friendships. The bag gets heavy and they offload it. They want out from under it. How many of you would say sometimes I'm just too quick to take the backpack off? Anybody? All right. Juanita, my mother-in-law, is the only quitter. And there are no <laughs> there, there are many others, believe me. Might I suggest there's a fourth way? I made the mistake of saying in the first service, it's another F word. I didn't intend to say that. And all of a sudden, it came out of my mouth. And I'm like, wait a minute. It's not what I meant. But it is. It's the word faith. It's when you feel burdened, but you also feel blessed. James 5, 7 through, through 12. I'm just going to actually do 7 through 8 today. He, he, he alludes to trusting in Jesus, even when we're under tremendous pressure. And if we think about it, he's a pastor like me, who's under an insurmountable burden, it seems, in managing all of these campuses of his church in Jerusalem. Very influential church. Plants popping up everywhere. It's a headquarter of sorts. There's lots of plates spinning. A number of them are hitting the floor and breaking. There's opposition and criticism. Christians in his day are paying a high price for carrying Jesus in their backpack. They're being sawn in two. They're being dismembered. They're being burned alive. In fact, James himself was taken by people who would call themselves more religious than he up to the top of a church. Don't think the mill church, our rooftop is right above our heads. Think OLP in Marshfield. And they hurled him down. History tells us that he did not die when he hit the ground. He saw Jesus get beat and stand back up, his older brother, and he, the younger, stood up. And at that time, the mob descended the steps of the temple and surrounded him and beat him bloodied until death. How many of you say it's pretty bad when they're killing pastors? 
Yet before he dies, he pens the most amazing practical advice to students for centuries to come of the word of God. And it's after a lifetime of of spending time with his older brother who said things like this, come to me, all you who are what? Weary and heavy laden, burdened, and, and I, I will give you rest. He heard Jesus say things like that. He heard Jesus say things like, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Farmers in that day, when, when the load was too heavy for an ox, a single ox, they would yoke two of them together, and it split the weight of whatever was being pulled between the two. Jesus is saying, I want to be yoked with you. I want to help you carry your backpack. And James, the little, the little brother, he now brings us a word, having lived a life with Jesus Christ. And I hope you'll listen this morning if you're here and are overwhelmed and burdened and exhausted and considering your options and back and forth between fighting and fighting and flighting. He desperately wants you to lean into Jesus and have faith. That all will be well for the people of God in the end. Here's how he begins. Verse 7, he says, be patient. How many of you were hoping he wouldn't start with patience? <laughs> how many of you are not patient? Raise your hands, okay? Okay, now if you're either patient, or excuse me, impatient or alive? Raise your hand. Okay, see? Oh, come on. Help me out here. Help me out. Don't be the person who just sits here and looks at me like you're too cool for school, okay? That's all of us. We're impatient. We're the same group, the people who are impatient and alive. We're just impatient to varying degrees that we are. James knows we cannot control everything that happens around us. Our lives, we just can't. It's outside of our control. But he knows we can control our hearts. And he says, be patient. Be patient, therefore, brothers. He's talking to Christians. And, and so, so immediately, uh, maybe your response is this. For how long, pastor? How long do you want me to be patient? And he says, until the coming of the Lord. It's a long time. How long is that, Zach? We don't know, but it's been 2,000 years-ish thus far. That's a long time. It'd be wonderful if it came in a couple hours. But the truth is, nobody knows not a single person knows. That's the truth. We tend to think in terms of lifespans. God thinks in terms of millennia. God 
is not slow. Not according to his time frame. God is patient. He's patient. Few of you, uh, you may study something called eschatology. I don't know this to be the case. I would have a hard time thinking of anybody off the top of my head. Um, that's the study of the last things. That's the study of the end times. That's the study of the book of Revelation. This blew up in the 80s and, and 90s. Um, you, I just want to tell you, I don't think this is anybody here, but just let me remind her, let me remind you, if you think you've figured out when Jesus is coming back, you're wrong. You're wrong. He said it himself. The day and hour no man knows. Elsewhere it was said, Christians, we do not live by sight. We live by what? faith by what we don't see so we trust that jesus is coming back we look forward to that end it could be another 2000 years i am not going to waste my time frankly studying charts i would incur people have been studying charts for 2000 years Stop studying charts. He, Jesus didn't say his last words before leaving earth. Go therefore into all the nations and study charts. Go therefore into all the nations and preach the gospel. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Somebody here needs to burn the charts and invite your neighbor to church. Love on them. Tell them about Jesus. We're on the welcoming committee to his return. We're not on the planning committee. Amen? We trust that he's coming back. We persevere. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer, see how the farmer, James says, notice, notice the farmer's. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What he's saying is that life is like farming. We're fortunate to have so many biblical analogies that relate to us rural people. Inner city kids, they don't have as many of, of Jesus' analogies or James' analogies in this case to help them. Um, I'll just admit, I have not done a lot of farming. I have done quite a bit of food plotting, which also is uh, watching and, and helping things to grow, but for a little bit of a different purpose. Things grow, here's what I've learned according to their season. According to their season. There's nothing a farmer can do to get alfalfa to grow in January in central Wisconsin. 
outside of a greenhouse or manipulation of some kind. There's nothing I can do to plant brassica seeds outside of the last week in August to the first, or rather July to the first week in August and have success come November, December, January. Deer pulling turnips out of the ground. I don't know if you've noticed, but we don't grow a lot of mangoes in Stratford. Why? Because everything has a season. And each of us are like that, James is saying. Each one of you is like a field. Each one of you is like a tree that God wants to produce with. And he's the patient farmer. And he's working over there on him. And he's working over there on Nick. And he's working over there on Mike. And he's working over there on Eric Jonas, spraying weeds and spraying weeds and spraying weeds. Right, Eric? There are seasons of nourishing. There are seasons of taking off crops. There are seasons of being patient. You cannot rush fruitfulness. I am a southern boy. My favorite vegetable is okra fried in a pan. It's the most amazing godly thing you've ever experienced. Do you know Planting in the, in, in the Midwest okra, do you know what it teaches you? <laughs> it teaches you patience. I'm out there every day looking at them. They're about that big. I cannot rush its production. And you can't say, this is what James is getting at, I want to be mature more quickly. He's saying it's going to be a process. I want to change now. He says it's going to be a process for you too. And the Lord is patient with all of us. And as he is patient with us, we ought to be patient with who? Each other. Each other. Galen Hendrickson, uh, who is the pastor that brought me to Marshfield, um, he and I, we love each other so much. We have such a close friendship. And there are some things about Galen that drive me nuts. But there's also things about him that I adore. And at the top of that list is his graciousness and patience with people. One day I went up to him. I was a new staffer, Northridge Church on McMillan. I had just the day, the day, or I should say minutes or hours before, had somebody come up and lambast Galen to my face. Just put him through the mud. There was profanity after profanity. And he was mowing his yard on a Saturday. And I pulled up in my pickup truck at the time, and I got out, and I walked over to him. He had these nice rows he was working on, and I said, we need to talk. I said, somebody has been saying this stuff about you, and I just want you to know about it. And I told him exactly what the person said. And if it were me, remember, I'm the mental emotional guy, I'd have went inside and cried. He said, huh. He looked down at his grass. 
He furrowed his brow a little bit, and he said, he said, I wonder if, I wonder if he was just having a bad day. His patience. Never forget that. He's patient with me. He was patient with Daniel Tyler, who spoke here last Sunday. There are some pastors who would have given neither of us a chance. Are you patient with other people? Look how many times James says it. Verse 7, patience. Verse 8, patience. Verse 9, patience. Verse 10, uh, uh, patience. Or excuse me, verse 10 and 11, patience or steadfastness. Pay, be patient. Be patient. We live argue, arguably, wouldn't you agree, in, in one of the most impatient times in history. I mean, I was driving... 65 down, I shouldn't tell you this, down Highway 97, coming home southbound to County Highway P, and somebody passed me and rode my fanny before passing me. I was going 65 miles an hour. Impatience. We fly, we drive, we honk, we microwave. We save a TV series until the end of it so we can binge watch over a weekend. We find commercials intolerable. <laughs> Where exactly are you in your sermon right now, Pastor? Would you stop pausing? <laughs> Look what he says in verse 8 next. Establish your heart. I love that phrase. Establish your heart. Another thing I've learned about food plotting, and this is, <laughs> this is so basic, but it's so true, that a seed, every farmer knows, needs a bed, a firm bed. It's got, the soil's got to be compacted for good soil to seed contact. And I think what he's saying is, pack yourself, establish your heart in Jesus. Don't hurry the process. Don't cut corners. This is going to take time. Instead, learn courage. Learn resolve. Learn perseverance. Don't try to cheat at this. Learn forbearance. Learn endurance. Wouldn't you agree that Jesus gave us his spirit so that we would have persevering power? When we establish our hearts, we're guarding against anxiousness, against sadness, against hopelessness, against sleeplessness. Did you know that in Proverbs 3, the Bible promises us sweet sleep? Did you know that? I was a young boy, and for whatever reason, it wasn't night terrors, but it was night anxiety. And I just laid in bed at night and could not sleep. This went on for months and months. It was affected, affecting my learning at school. I would just get to be like a zombie during the daytime in my desk. 
And I went to summer camp between school years, and I had a pastor. Uh, I, he, he prayed for me. He said, what can I pray for you about? He was, the, he was a speaker, and I told him, I need to get sleep. I'm not sleeping. And he laid his hand on my shoulder, and he prayed, Father, I thank you that one of your promises in Proverbs 3 is that we will sleep sweetly. You gave us that gift. I prayed over Zach in Jesus' name. And that night, I went back to a cot in a concrete room with a thin, uh, ratty carpet floor with crickets, full of crickets and spiders. And I had the most sweet sleep I had had in months. And I have slept sweetly ever since. I will tell you I am anxious during the daytime, but rarely, rarely at night. Did you know that's God's promise for you? Father, I just pray right now, if there's anybody here who's wrestling to get sleep, Lord, that you would gift them sleep in Jesus' name, that they would claim through faith your promise for them in the mighty, awesome, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I'm almost done. Establish your heart. Some of us are great at being false prophets for our lives. We picture the worst possible scenarios, particularly those of, the, of us that deal with fright. We predict the worst futures. We have racing thoughts. We toss and turn. We self-medicate with caffeine and carbs. James is saying, steady, establish your heart. Don't have a heart that has more funerals than it has weddings. Establish your heart. Trust that God loves you. Trust that God is for you. Establish your heart for, for, establish your heart, in other words, because the coming of the Lord is at hand. And we tend not to think about the coming of the Lord. For those of you who may be new and not know what that means, the coming of the Lord, the Bible says that Jesus came once as a man, and it says he's coming back as a king. And none of us know when that's going to be. And the first time he came as a humble peasant to a small rural town in poverty, in suffering. The second time he's going to come as a king. A sword's going to be coming out of his mouth. He's going to be riding on a white horse. He's going to have king of kings and lord of lords tattooed on his thigh. And his purpose for coming is to resurrect the people of God who are deceased and still living on this earth to be with them in heaven forever and to smite God's enemies. And from that time on, we're going to live together in complete peace and harmony. There will be no sin. There will be no suffering. There, the Bible says he will wipe every tear. Have you ever taken a toddler and wiped a tear out of that boy or girl's eye? Is that not the most intimate, precious thing? That's what Jesus is going to do for full-blown adults. He's going to wipe every tear out of our eye. And there will be no suffering. Now, now that you're caught up, he says, the coming of the Lord is at hand. How many of us think about the coming of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord? We do when we're hurting. That's when we think about it. Like if I said to you today, Mike, you've won the lottery. 
be cool, huh? Mike, would you like Jesus to come back today? You say, Zach, today's not a good day. I got some plans I got to take care of. But if somebody's broken off an engagement and you ask them that question, it's a different story. Then the heart is, come, Lord Jesus, please deliver me. The New Testament speaks about the second coming of Jesus Christ 300 times. On average, every 13 verses, it is a huge, mega theme. And James says, the coming of the Lord is at hand. And to the Lord, it is at hand. It's soon. To us, it feels like it's been forever. And it may still feel like forever, but not to God. Do me a favor in closing. Close your eyes, if you will, and picture a world without God. Imagine your marriage without God. Imagine your kids without God. Imagine your career, your health, Without God, imagine no sins forgiven. Imagine no resurrection from death. Imagine no justice in this world, no healing in this world. We don't have enough time to really engage that mentally. Now look up at me. I don't know how people do it. I don't know how people do it without Jesus. Are you grateful for Jesus? Are you grateful that we have a home to look forward to forever? That we're promised it's at hand? That it's as dependable as sweet sleep? That it's as dependable as his provision. I'm glad we have Jesus. We're going to look uh, next week, not next week, uh, but next time we uh, will be here next week. I'm going to be in Edgar next week, but we're going to look at burdens. And, and uh, I'm going to stop there this morning. I'm going to pray for our offering momentarily, but I just want to mention this to you. We have uh, something we're going to start today and really carry forward into um, every service at the Mill Church, and that's to make our elders available for prayer following the service down front. Um, sometimes they'll have their spouses with. Uh, sometimes we may have deacons uh, that are here for prayer if we don't have enough elders in a particular service, but it's just going to become a new part of our fabric at the Mill Church. And if you're in need of prayer, for anything and everything, we want to invite you once the service concludes to come down and, and have hands laid on you by our elders and, and to have the will of God prayed over your life. We just don't want to let a time go by. It's been too long to have that 
option for you to be prayed over uh, in, a, in a service. And so I want you to let you know that's coming. Let's pray. Father, I just ask, Lord, that people will have courage, Lord, to uh, not only are you here to carry our burdens, but we can help carry one another's burdens. And I just pray, God, that uh, today, next Sunday, Sunday's following, that our people take advantage of the opportunity to be prayed for. We believe in prayer. You taught us to pray. We're to have concern and passion for one another. We're a family. And I just pray that in your, in your power, needs will be met. I pray that you would continue to bless our church, continue to help us. In Jesus' name, amen.